John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus, had not lying, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood, weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she, stood, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you this morning for your word. We ask that you would captivate our minds. We ask that you would shape and form our thinking. We ask that you'd shame and shape and form our hearts this morning, that we would live with your hope and your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Open a carton of milk and you expect to drink... Okay, folks. <laughs> Open a carton of milk and you expect to drink... Pull up to a gas station... And you expect to put what in your car? Visit a Chinese restaurant and you expect to order... Well, chicken strips if you're on the kids' menu. <laughs> I mean, pretty clear what to expect, right? Milk, gas, and Chinese. Go to a tomb and you expect to find a... Unless you're the disciples. The first followers went to the tomb with one expectation, to find the body. Yet there was no body. You go to a tomb expecting to find a body because dead people stay dead. Dead people stay dead. Not any longer. The body is not there. We say to ourselves, not a big deal. He's alive. The first disciples are saying to themselves, big deal, the body's been stolen. I mean, if the followers had come out to maybe get some closure on the whole situation, they had just spent three years with this man. They had left everything and followed this man. 
These women had left everything and followed this man. And now they come out after a horrific week where they had been made fun of, where they had been put in challenging positions. They came out after having to see their friend go through a brutal murder that none of us would even watch our worst enemy go through. They come out probably looking for some closure and also looking maybe just to make a little bit of a shrine to someone that they loved. And the body's gone. Well, what would you think? What's a reasonable expectation? Stolen. Is it reasonable to think that he came back to life? Absolutely not. Right? I mean, let's be honest. If somebody came back and said, the body's not there, they must be alive. We would simply say what? You fool. Because it's simply foolish to think that someone that was laid in this tomb after being hung on a cross and killed is now all of a sudden alive. Foolishness. Yet today, we celebrate foolishness. And you're a fool for being here. Right? I mean, how foolish are you? You're here today to celebrate that some guy was killed and then that same guy came back to life again? Really? Thing. Do you realize how astounding that is? Do you realize how ridiculous that is? We've completely lost the astounding We've completely lost the absurdity of the resurrection because we're used to the religious experience of Easter each year. You came this morning expecting what? To hear, He is risen. Whew, we're picking up some speed. We're getting there. Thing. Right? You came expecting to hear that. If you would have arrived this morning and everything would have been black and we would have said, He's died. You would have wondered, well, what's going on? You came expecting to hear he is risen. The disciples and the women were expecting to say goodbye. The resurrection is an absurd thing. It's crazy. It's the wildest of wildest dreams. It's the greatest event to ever happen in all of history. And the proof is this. No one else has claimed to do the same. Why has no one else claimed to do the same? Because they know they'd be labeled as a fool for making that claim, and their movement would die. People are making foolish claims all the time, right? But they're unwilling to make that claim, because they know if they make that claim, they're going to be, ooh, see you later, fool. Jesus is willing to make the claim, because it's reality. The followers and the women expected closure. The religious leaders and the politicians expected normalcy. You see, the church leaders were thinking, oh, finally, we got rid of the crazy guy that would come into the temple and shake things up. The politicians are thinking, oh, finally, we don't have these religious leaders bothering us about quelching this movement from this other crazy guy that's saying he's the Messiah. They're all thinking, oh, finally, we can go back to church as normal. We can go back to governing as normal. Not so fast, because the tomb was empty. What they were expecting did not happen, but what did happen was there was a resurrection that brings us victory for eternity and strength for today. Because of Jesus' resurrection, today you have victory for eternity, but today you also have strength. Let's say it together. Victory for eternity, 
strength for today. Victory for eternity, strength for today. That's exactly what happens because of the resurrection, because the tomb wasn't empty, because the unexpected happened. We have victory. Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15. We've heard the news now. We've, we've seen the witnesses that have seen Jesus. Well, what's the meaning? 1 Corinthians 15, we get a description of this victory. 1 Corinthians 15, we read earlier verses 50 through 58, and there is just some astounding stuff in here. 1 Corinthians 15, look with me if you would at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. Okay, this is the victory. This is the victory we sometimes don't talk enough about. What is your victory? Your victory is that you get an imperishable and an immortal body. This is good news because how many of you have ever been upset with your own physical body? Don't lie on Easter. Thing. Thing. Right? There's a problem with our bodies. They're decaying. Our bodies don't exactly operate the best, especially as they age and they enter in those final stages. Guess what the victory is? A body that does not decay. You think the resurrection is absurd. How absurd is this? That when you and I die, we don't stay dead. That we will be transformed into an immortal, imperishable body. That is our victory. We're just not used to stuff being able to last very long. It's hard for us to even comprehend. Recently, my wife and I had to go buy a new um, stove and a new wash machine. So we started the old research process, looking around on the internet, what's a good buy, talking to different salespeople. I had just assumed going in that the lifespan on it was going to be 15 years. Started looking around on the internet, and it's like, there's no 15 years for anything. The honest salesman says eight. The dishonest one says 12. Eight years for this appliance it's going to last. And he's like, that, that's a good lifespan. Thing. Eight years is nothing. Thing. Now, now, what we get is not eight years. We get eternity in an immortal and an imperishable body. In other words, you're going to be perfect. Nothing's going to decay. That hair... Okay, some of you, you might get it back. <laughs> we don't know the exacts, but we do know this, that it's imperishable and it's immortal. This is good news, folks. This is our ultimate hope right here, that our future for eternity is a brand new body because Jesus did the unexpected, because the dead no longer stay dead. This is the victory immortal and imperishable. So if that's, that, that, that's what's coming, if that's the victory that's coming, what about today? So, so what today? Well, look with me if you would at verse 58 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He starts by saying, therefore. Basically what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, in light of everything I just said, He's just kind of finishing a certain portion of a letter. So he's basically saying, everything that I said in this little portion of the letter about the resurrection, in light of all of those truths, now do this. 
In other words, because of the resurrection, your life should look like this. So let's look and see what our life should look like. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Very simply said, our life in light of the resurrection should look like this. A constant force for good. You and I, because of the resurrection, should be a consistent force in one direction for the good. How many of you have ever had a bent picture at home? Just a little one that started to fold up like this. Anyone had a bent picture thing? What do you do when you get a bent picture? What? Say a hammer thing? Thing. Okay. Well, I haven't tried that before. Thing. Thing. However, normally what I do is I grab a stack of books, put it under a stack of books. What does the stack of books provide? Consistent pressure to return the picture back the way it was supposed to be. You and I, what the Apostle Paul is saying here, steadfast, immovable, we're supposed to be a consistent force for good, putting things back the way that God intended them to be. Now, when you read this passage, verse 58, it says, my beloved brothers, and then it says, in the work of the Lord. Some of you might read that and you might think, oh, talking to pastors here about continuing on with the ministry. Brothers does not mean ministry. Brothers is a word they use in Scripture to talk about all you Christians. In other words, what he's saying here is saying, all you Christians receiving this Corinthian letter, you all should be a consistent force for good. Now, most of us, when we look at the world around us, we look at the wars, we look at the natural disasters, we look at the national debt, we look at all this stuff, and the normal response from the Christian is, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And this is the normal message even from the church. It's just, Lord, this is done. It's, it's just getting so bad. I've got news for you this morning. The world is not going to hell in a handbasket. It may appear as though the world's going to hell in a handbasket. God's got a completely different plan. The world's actually working towards the greatest good. That someday we're going to be completely restored to what God intended it to be. We're going to be right back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. That's exactly what Paul is saying. You're saying, hey, put yourself in a position of working consistently for the good, to return things the way they were supposed to be. The message of the Christians should be, Hey, no, the world's bad, yes, but guess what? There's good to come, and there's good here right now, and we should be willing to work for the good. The world is not going to hell in a handbasket. The world is working towards the good because that's what God is working for. The question is, will we work alongside of Him? We should be a consistent force for good because of all of these truths that Jesus has been risen from the grave, that he is the king, that you and I have an eternity of imperishable, immortal bodies, we're supposed to be a consistent force in one direction. The problem for the majority of us is we're inconsistent. We're up one day, down the next. We're working for the good one day, and the next day we're actually opposed to the good. And a lot of it goes to this. We can't get our eyes beyond the present circumstances. We're suffocating ourselves with looking around us at what's going on right now rather than looking back to what God has done and looking ahead to what God has promised. We need to elevate our vision this morning. Put your eyes on the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and then put your eyes on what? The future resurrection and the new kingdom and work 
for that. The moment we put our eyes on our circumstances, what happens? Woe is me. I got news for you this morning. There's no blessing out there for woe is me. Jesus even said, it's going to be tough for you. There's going to be suffering. But woe is me is an unacceptable answer in the Christian church because we've been given something great. We've been given a future promise and a past guarantee. If you want hope in your life, look to the past guarantee and look to the future promise and be a consistent force in one direction. So how can you be a consistent force in one direction this next week? I want to take a little rabbit trail this morning on Easter Sunday to, to, to give us some practical things that we can do to be, a practic, to be a consistent force for the good. I believe it's all taught right here in the book of 1 Corinthians. Three things that we can do to be immovable and steadfast. The first is this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. If you want to be a consistent force for the good, the first thing we have to do is this. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? What, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is he's talking about some behaviors and he's giving them the reason for why they should behave a certain way. The reason is this. You're a temple of God. That God's Spirit is living within you. That you should seek to be an honorable temple. If we want to be a consistent force for good, we have to remember that we are God's temple. There's no temple in the Middle East. We're not looking to rebuild a temple in the Middle East. God's got a temple in every country all around the world. We are God's temple today. You have got the living spirit of the creator of the universe living inside of you and living among you here at this church. Are we living as the temple? Now, this gets dangerous because now we've got to be spiritual. We've got to be willing to say, I'm going to listen to someone besides myself. I'm going to be willing to maybe be a little bit foolish in this world and say, there's a spirit directing us that we can't see. But guess what? Because Jesus rose from the grave, we are temples. If Jesus never gets raised from the grave, guess what? It's all centered right there in the Middle East around a shrine. But because Jesus rises from the grave, now the presence of Christ can go everywhere because the Spirit of Christ can go everywhere. It's good news that Jesus ascended to the heavens because now the Spirit descends among us. You want to be a consistent force for good? Remember you are God's temple. Be willing to get a little spiritual investigate and acknowledge that the Spirit of the living God is, is in you and among you. Secondly, if we're going to do a consistent force for good, live as God's temple, second one is this, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. If you want to be a consistent force for good, you have to understand this is right here. Chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In other words, if you want to be a consistent force for good, you've got to contribute to Christ's community with your gifts because you are a member of Christ's community. If you're wondering why your life is like this all the time, you've got the vision problem, but you've also got the alone problem. 
Nobody's got the strength or the knowledge or the skill sets to go it alone, especially when you're working for the good. What do you need? You need other people around you when you're down. You need other people around you that have skill sets that you don't have to work for the good. This morning, if you profess Jesus Christ and you are disconnected from the church, that's hypocrisy. Those who profess Jesus Christ, Scripture clearly tells us, are to be connected to the body of Christ. If you want to be a consistent force for good, if you want to experience strength for, for t- strength for today, it begins by contributing to community. You've got something to contribute today. You've got some unique gifts, some unique skills. You've got unique relationships, unique experiences. Are you willing to contribute those for the good? It's for the good of others, and then ultimately it's also for your good. Today, if you want to be a consistent force for good, Get connected with other people. It's an assumed value in Scripture. We are God's temple. We are members of God's church, and we should contribute to God's church. And then the third thing, turn back to 1 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. 1 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17. This is found in multiple places here in 1 Corinthians, but I'm going to use this one as the, as the place to take it from. 1 Corinthians 4, 16 to 17. The Apostle Paul says to the readers, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. If you want to be a consistent force for good, you've got to soak in Christ's teachings. Notice what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He's saying, hey, follow my example. I mean, how audacious for someone to say, hey, follow me. But why does Paul say, follow me? Because he's following the teachings of Christ. We see this throughout the letter in a couple of different spots too where Christ will say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If you want to be a consistent force for good, you've got to get soaked in the teachings of Jesus because you're constantly being soaked in other teachings. Every day you're seeing billboards. Every day you're seeing commercials. Every day you're reading stuff. That's not that you avoid that stuff at all. It's just you need to get soaked in truth so you can discern when you see that stuff. Do you know the way of Jesus? You only know the way of Jesus by soaking yourself in the teachings of Jesus. This is why we elevate the Bible in this church and believe it's so important is that we don't think we can find the ways of Jesus anywhere except Scripture, where He's revealed it. Remember you are God's temple. Contribute to Christ's community with your gift and soak in Christ's teachings. If you, don't want, if you want this to be more than just a day where you get to run around the house and look at some eggs and enjoy a nice glass of wine and ham, if you want it to be more than that, you got to do these things because this is what God has revealed about what He desires for His creation. You don't do them to get the victory. The victory's already been given to us in Christ Jesus. We do it because we are victorious. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, because you are victorious, be a consistent force for good. Today, we celebrate that the dead no longer stay dead. Today, we celebrate that Jesus did the unexpected. He rose from the grave. And when he did the unexpected, we got victory for eternity And we got strength for today.
the last couple of months, I've been using my grandfather's old King James Bible for my devotions and, and different type of reading. And I've talked about my grandfather quite a bit. I think my grandpa was in a wheelchair for about 20, 20 years after a farm accident. So it was really the only thing that I knew of him was in a, was in a wheelchair. And so I began reading his Bible. And my grandfather was a member of a Baptist church, an elder in that church until the day he died, very active. Um, never once, through all of life, did we ever hear him complain once about being in a wheelchair. Actually, it was the exact opposite. It was a consistent, joyful force in the home and in the community around. He stayed involved in everything, the elevator board, the funeral home board, all of that. He was a consistent force for good. I was really looking forward to starting to use his Bible a little bit and see what things I could glean from him. But I came across a serious surprise. There was nothing underlined anywhere. Nowhere. And then a couple of weeks ago, I came upon one spot. John chapter 6. The story of people laying by the poolside who have been disabled. People that dreamed of a day when the water would be moved a little bit so that they could be healed. And in John chapter 6, it says this, And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. This was the only portion of Scripture that I could find any underlines in his own Bible. He underlined three things, or marked three things. first thing he marked was 38 years. I don't know why he underlined that, to help him give some perspective of his difficulty that someone else had it longer. But then the next thing that he underlined is, knew that. That he knew, my, my grandfather knew, and even prayed for up to the final day, that he would walk again. He wanted to walk again. And then the final one, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. That was his greatest desire, was to walk again. And I think all of us would agree this morning that he would have been a fool for not having that desire. He would have been a fool for not wanting to walk again. Today, I know that he's sleeping peacefully in the presence of Christ. And I know that someday he will hear these words, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. What a glorious picture. Because the unexpected happened at the grave. Because the dead no longer stay dead. He would have been a fool for not wanting to walk again. This morning, you are a fool if you don't want to live after death. This morning, you are a fool if you're not willing to deal with your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is not yourself. Your greatest enemy is death. But praise be to God that he has dealt with that enemy on our behalf. And so this morning, we can stand and declare the foolish thing. 
that the dead will no longer stay dead. This morning, do you want to be a foolish person or do you want to be a faithful person? A foolish person will say this, I'll do everything on my own strength. A faithful person will say, I am a temple of the living God. I have the power of the risen Christ living within me. A foolish person will say this, I'm going to go it alone. A faithful person will say, I am connected to the church. I will not go it alone. I will contribute and I will receive from other followers of Jesus. A fool will say, I'll tune into Oprah for my direction. A faithful person will say, I'm going to soak myself in the teachings of Jesus Christ. This morning, do you want to be a fool? Or do you want to be a faithful person who has victory for eternity and strength for today? Hear the words, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to experience it. But until that day, we should be a consistent force working for the good. Dead people stay dead. Not anymore. Let us pray. Almighty God, we praise you this morning. We thank you for the promise of the resurrection. God, we acknowledge that this is simple foolishness that we're talking about. But God, we thank you for these promises. And we ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would enable us and empower us to live them out. God, I pray this morning for anyone that doesn't, experience, that doesn't feel or experience or know that victory. God, I pray that today you'd give them the gift of faith to know it and experience it. And I pray that today, O oh Lord, by your power, you would give each person here strength for today. God, we thank you and we praise you for what you have done on our behalf. We want to declare your greatness. Worthy are you, O oh Lord, of all of our praise. God, thank you for conquering the grave. In Jesus' name. Amen.